little bit of time in a couple places in Scripture. Um, the Gospel of John, uh, first chapter, and also the Gospel of Matthew. You, in case you don't have to turn there, but if you, uh, if you want to, I'm oh, sorry, Mark, uh, that's fine. But we'll, we'll spend a little time thinking about some of these first words that we see about Jesus. But would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word and for long ago giving us notice that you would be doing something extraordinary. Lord, by hundreds of years in advance, you spoke before you did anything. You let us know what you would do and where it would happen. And Bethlehem would be the center of something magnificent that you would do. And Father, we thank you for that. And thank you for the goodness of all that you have brought to us through what you accomplished in a little city called Bethlehem. And we praise you, Jesus, for coming and wrapping yourself in flesh and living among us and giving us hope that we can have a relationship with your Father and our Father. We thank you for doing that. Thank you for becoming a willing sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that your love would right now be poured out in our hearts through your Spirit. I ask you to, as we think about these words, I just ask, Father, that your Spirit would make them um, come alive to us. Let, let us experience your love through your word. Let the light of the gospel shine into our hearts a little more clearly right now. So please give us attentive hearts and let us not miss what you have done and be mindful of what you will do. I pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm sure you're like me over the past nine or ten days, you have begun to see changes all around us. You have seen, perhaps, as I have, lights going up on trees. I see town workers hanging lights and driving boom trucks and bucket trucks hanging and draping lights all around. Stores have been filled with lights. You've seen the, uh, everywhere you go, there's the, a, a hint that something different is in the air. Perhaps you've even heard different sounds, different music. There's a kind of music that now you hear everywhere and even on personal playlists you get in somebody's car and there's this music that you haven't heard in a while. Uh, I was at Gordon College this week and there was a bulletin board and it, uh, at the top was asking a question inviting students to write down how they celebrated Christmas and got ready for the season. And I saw one little sticky note that said, I've been playing Christmas music since November the 1st. And it reminded me of my daughter, who uh, not, is not surprising. Sometimes she would play Christmas music in like July or uh, August, something like that, which some of us in the house are going nuts. Like, what are you doing? But always there's, uh, music has a way of helping us begin to prepare. And preparations are beginning. And what we see is that right now, preparation for a celebration of Christmas is in full swing. And when there are significant celebrations in our lives that means that prior to that celebration, there had to be extensive preparation. For example, if you paid attention to the royal wedding, you probably get a feel that a lot of preparation went into a wedding. And some of you, Anderson and Vanessa, you've just been married recently, and there is a lot of preparation that has to happen. Extensive amounts, right? You have to book the venue. You have to decide on a date. You have to engage 
caterers and, and make sure people can come and decide on the guest list and when are you going to send the announcements and who will do the food and what will be the time and when will it happen? Where will you go afterwards? What about the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner and the clothes we're going to wear and the dresses and tuxes and flowers and children and so much planning and preparation goes into a wedding day. And yet, I didn't list anything near the, all of the details that are required to pull something like this off. I mean, for, in their case, right, streets have to be closed and entire town shuts down. The whole city, the whole country stops and pauses for just a little while. Massive preparations happen on a wedding day. In order for that special day to be truly a celebration and not filled with stress, much preparation is required. Or think about all of the preparations that were required to pull off a state funeral. This past week, for the celebration of the life of George H.W. Bush, how much preparation had to go into that day? I mean, we close businesses, we close banks, we reserve the entire national cathedral. Um, military and police personnel are deployed and streets are, are blocked off. Orders of service are written, singers are engaged, choirs are called, news crews are flown into Washington, D.C., a massive event. And then, my goodness, they turned right around and did the same thing the very next day in Texas. Preparations everywhere, and truly, with preparations, if, if a celebration is going to happen, preparation is required, and we all know this. I mean, for our 25th anniversary of this church that happened in September, we began preparing October a year ago, 2017. I won't bore you with all the details, but you get the point. When something massive is coming to celebrate, we need to prepare. And the same happened with the coming of Jesus. When God intended to send his son into this world, it wasn't without preparation. And if we learned anything last week, what we saw is... The beginning of Jesus didn't begin with his birth. The roots of that coming stretch back for hundreds of years. And so the gospel of Mark says this. Preparation. That's what I want you to think about today. And, and who's involved in Jesus' coming. So before Jesus came, before God sent Jesus, he sent John. This man called John. Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So the coming of Jesus, as Mark writes it, didn't begin with Jesus' birth. He goes back 700 years to something that Isaiah said and pointed forward and it began with John, this voice of, of a person who's coming in the wilderness. And so interesting, when just before Jesus appears, that's not the main event. He says, John is going to go before and point to it. So something happens to call attention to it. And it happened through this guy named John. And Gavin and I, this week, uh, this past Monday, went for a little hike up, a little hike up Mount Monadnock, because of about, I don't know, eight inches of snow or something. And we were talking about, about this, and he pointed out something. He's been teaching a class of comparative religions for the high schoolers. And he said something interesting about all other religions. There's no prophetic element. 
There's no hundreds of years of prophecy pointing to the one who would come. There's no prophecies pointing to the coming of Muhammad. or There's no prophecies pointing to the coming of Buddha. Right? There's just the arrival. It's, it's the case with every major world religion. Christianity is distinct, and we have prophecies pointing hundreds of years to the coming of Christ. Now, Judaism would claim the same scriptures, but they deny that the Messiah has come. And yet we have specific pointers to help us see who Jesus is. And so John comes calling attention to the fact of the arrival of Jesus, and he prepares the way. So John has a ministry of preparation. And some of you think preparation is meaningless, especially when it comes to food preparation, right? Your family sits down, you've, you've worked hard to prepare a meal, everybody sits down and just enjoys it, and little attention is given to all of the detail that's gone into preparing a meal, or is there really the, the thanksgiving that you had hoped, or the appreciation? I, I learned from my father, one thing is to say thank you at every meal, because he couldn't cook, and he was grateful for everyone he got. And so we're, we sometimes, we, we have things happen in our life which takes great amount of preparation but doesn't necessarily get the kind of, of thanksgiving or the attention that we would want. So John has a ministry of preparation. He's pointing. He's pointing somewhere else. And, and he's content for that to happen. And this ministry of preparation was even predicted to his parents. He was warned that they were warned that this would happen. And so in Luke chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, The angel Gabriel is speaking to uh, John's parents and he says this, he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now it's shocking to me, but evidently God intends that his people prepare for his coming. And so he sends a dedicated person in order to do that, to prepare for the coming of Christ, the birth of the Messiah. That's all that John did. And he did a work of the heart. This passage tells us that what John would primarily do when he would turn hearts of fathers back to their children. And I can only imagine that that means selfish hearts of fathers who are only concerned about what they're into and what they want to do have neglected to bring children into the planning of their lives and the outflow of that. And so John says, that Gabriel says about John, he's going to turn hearts of fathers to their children, to their families. The focus of the attention of the, the passion of a man is going to be to his family, to his children and his wife. And so that's what John is going to do. He's going to do it in the power and, and the spirit of Elijah. And so he's coming with great authority to, to a, a mighty working of God's spirit. And his anointing of his spirit is going to be upon John in order to turn hearts. So what is at the core and the essence of, the, of our hearts? Where is, what captures our attention and our affections? What do you yearn most for? John is going to call attention to the coming of Christ. And so he has a ministry of preparation. And his own father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, pointed this out too. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, he says about his son, speaking through the anointing of the Spirit, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. So Zechariah, John's father, says, you, my little son, as you grow up, you're going to point people to Jesus. You're going to turn hearts. You're going to prepare the way of the Lord because preparation is needed. And we sometimes think, do I really need to prepare? 
I wonder how many of you prepare for corporate worship? Do you do things that ready your heart before you gather with God's people to come into a place to help you be receptive to what you might hear, what you might experience? I I hope we begin to, to prepare and to think about the preparation that goes into our corporate worship experience because preparation for a celebration is needed. And if we're gonna celebrate the goodness of God, preparation is required. But we might think, now, I don't really care about separa- preparation. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, how can, I, how can I illustrate this? How can I make this practical to us today? And so I was thinking and praying about this, and um, the Patriots came to mind. And I thought one way of explaining the purpose of, of a coming of, of, of John the Baptist in the way that the preparing that he did, he's kind of like a spiritual fullback. If you're a running back, you want a fullback to go before you and prepare the way. It's kind of like James Devlin. Right, John the Baptist is a, a kind of like a spiritual James Devlin. I found this interesting picture, both of them looking up into the heavens. Please don't thank me sacrilegious for putting those two side by side. It's not my intention. But when you're, when you're running back, it's very helpful to have somebody go before you and knock everybody out of the way. Right, James Devlin is, is great for James White. He goes in front of him, he's big, he knocks people out of the way, so White can punch through and advance the ball. John the Baptist is kind of like that. He, he, spiritually speaking, comes before Jesus and punches through in order to capture people's attention and make way for the reception of the gospel. And he does that in a particular way. John the Baptist comes as a kind of witness. What we're told is he steps on the scene as a preacher, as a person who speaks and shares some things. And, and as I was thinking about this, what, what kind of preparation did John do Well, there's there's a couple of things that sort of come to mind. The first thing is John, he was sent by God to be a witness. He was not sent by God to be a converter. He was sent to bear witness. John 1, 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Four times, three times, that word witness is used here. John is coming to bear witness about the light. He's not the light, but he's coming to bear witness about the light. And we know that, of course, he's speaking about Jesus. So John's ministry of of preparation involved proclamation. It involved preaching and being a witness. So what kinds of things did he bear witness to? What did he say, in other words? What, what did this preacher preach? And the first thing he says is, I'm not the Messiah. Don't mistake me for the one God is coming to send who is the, the anointed one. So John 1, 19 to 21. First things he says is, it's not me. I'm not the center of attention. So he says in 19, this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Probably the prophet of whom Moses spoke. And he says, no, I'm not. So when they ask him, who are you? John's ministry was powerful. He he preached a gospel of repentance. He called people to turn away from their sins. He named sin and what it was, and he called people to turn away. And in his preaching, People listened. God was doing something to give them spiritual ears to hear what was happening, and he captured their attention. And so when 
some, some people began to notice this, the Levites sent a little messenger to say, go figure out who this guy is. Who is he? And he says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. So the first thing he says, it's not me. I'm simply someone else. And so who is he? Remember what John said. He said, I must decrease and this other guy is going to increase. And when his disciples said, it's not a good PR plan, John. You need to elevate yourself. I must decrease and he must increase. And so the officers were not content. They kept asking. In John 1, 22 and 23, who was he? He now answers the question. He said to them, they said, who are you then? Give us an answer so that we can go back to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's what he says. He simply says, I am a voice. I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. So John understood himself to be standing in this this prophetic ministry, which long ago had been pointed to of a voice simply calling out, make straight the ways of the Lord. In other words, get your act together because he's coming. Prepare to meet the Messiah. Prepare to meet Jesus is what he's saying. Straighten out your life. Get rid of everything that is crooked. Analyze where you are. Think about your life. Put away things that are false. Be content with what you have. There are specific things that John said, but he's calling us to a straight kind of life, a straight way of living. Turn away from sin and and embrace this coming of the Messiah. And so, what do we see on? He knew his purpose. Verses 29 through 34 in John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus, uh, when John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, So here's this bearing witness. What is this voice saying about the coming of Jesus? He says about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Jesus. I myself didn't know him. I didn't recognize who he was. But he who sent me to baptize with water, who is that? That's God, right? God said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And now John says, I have seen and bore witness, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus. Jesus was standing in front of him as he was saying all of this. Jesus' public ministry had not begun yet. And so he's coming to be baptized. And as John baptized him, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and it remained on him. And that God had told him, that's how you're going to know who who my Messiah is, who my son is. And so John then is simply testifying to what he's seen. He's the voice explaining what he has seen with his own two eyes. That's what the voice does. And the first thing he says about Jesus is, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, takes away the sins of the world. Meaning all people, all nations will have their sins removed if they put their faith in this guy. This man is what John says. So a voice, when we think about this this ministry of preparation, alerts people to the fact that you have sin that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus is the one who can carry it away. This is the voice that John is proclaiming out loud to the crowds, unashamed, in the streets. Which is, would we do that? Are we that bold to plainly say Jesus came to take away the sins of the world? So that all nations, whoever would trust in him, would have their sins removed? so that we could enjoy the fellowship of the Lord, 
This is what John is saying. So he is a voice proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And the second thing he says is that, that Jesus is a man who existed before him. Now, John was born three months before Jesus. And yet he says about Jesus, he's a guy who ranks before me because he was before me in verse 30. He ranks before me because he was before me, meaning Jesus existed long before me. John has an understanding of the divinity of Christ. Even though he was, he was born after him, he understands Jesus to have been around long before John ever showed up. And so he points to him, respect him far above me because he predates me. He was here before I was. This is not your average person. Something unique and special about Jesus. So pay attention to him. Uphold him in your affections. And he goes on and he says, this is the son of God. So he's, he's the divine son of God. Yes, he's fully human. But I have seen that God has his hand on him in a way that's completely unique to anyone else I've ever seen. John is speaking about what he has experienced. That's key to being a witness. The word uh, witness in Greek is, is where we get our word martyr. So at martyrion, it means one who has seen and, and has testified. And that came to be equated with people who were then executed for their, their testimony. That's how we have, what we think of when we think of a martyr. But it's a person who speaks and then is executed for what they say as it relates to Jesus. So he's saying, I have seen that God has his hand on him. He predates me. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, this Jesus, what is unique, absolutely unique about him, is that he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's him who will drench you in the life of the Spirit of God. He's the one. And if you remember, when Jesus ascended into heaven, his last command was go and, and share, uh, make disciples of all nations. And he says, I'm going to send my spirit. So sit still until I send the Holy Spirit to you. And then Acts chapter 1 unfolds and the Holy Spirit is poured out only after Jesus ascended into heaven. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, he received the authority and the right to pour out the Spirit of God in a way that had never happened in the history of humanity. And so Acts chapter 1, the birth of the church began with the empowerment of God's Spirit. And now we live as beneficiaries of that work of Christ in pouring out the Spirit of God. And so John says about Jesus, he's the one who will bring you the Spirit of God. He's the one who will give you life in Christ. No one else can do that. No one else has that authority except Jesus. And so John is now seeing something in Christ that he's bearing witness to. And folks, his calling is no different than ours. We're not called to convert people. We are called to bear witness to what we have seen. We're called to be a voice that shares with the world what God has done in our lives. And I want you to think about, have you seen God at work in your life? Do you have anything to say? Have you experienced the Lord in a way that has shaped your vision, has shaped your thinking, and shapes your life? Because that's all we're supposed to do. That's all we're supposed to talk about. You don't have to be a theologian and have a PhD in apologetics in order to share your faith. We sometimes are so silent because we think, I'm not equipped to answer people's questions. Or I can't talk educate, smartly and intelligently about Jesus. You don't have to. 
If you have bumped into Jesus, if you have experienced him, all you have to do is share that. And I had a conversation with a group of men a couple of weeks ago that left me wondering, have we really experienced God? Have, we, have you emotionally encountered the living God through his word? Do, do you know he's real? Or, or you just heard stories that people have spoken so convincingly that you just want to go along with them. I don't want us to be a people who have never experienced the living God. John was an average guy anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's why his ministry was so effective. It wasn't because he was trained, he had PhDs, and he was skilled, and he had lettered. It was simply because he had the Spirit of God in him. And that's why he went and and did what he did with the great effectiveness with which he did. So for us, you don't have to be trained to be an effective witness. You just have to encounter the living God. And have you? We prepare right now to celebrate Christmas. Advent looks forward to the coming of Christ. John came to prepare people for the first coming. He's already come. Our job as Christians then is to help people prepare for his second coming. It's wonderful to celebrate the birth of a baby, but it is far better to celebrate the coming of the risen king of the universe. That is our calling It's no different than John's. All you have to do is be a voice to share the living reality that you have encountered with Christ. You just have to talk about your own experience. That's all John did. He saw Jesus. He met him. And then he shared what he saw. And my prayer has been like David's prayer that God would open up his word so that you can see wonders in it this season. That you can see that Jesus is living. He's not a little baby anymore. He was at one time. Don't keep him there. He is the risen, resurrected king of the universe. And he is alive this day, seated at the right hand of God. And if we don't experience him, if you say this morning, I've never experienced living God, I want to fall on my face and weep. I want every person in this room to experience the living God through his word. Because if this is true, this changes everything. A few years ago, we did a little course called Christianity Explored in here where we looked at the gospel of, of Mark and an overview of it. And a guy came who was not a Christian. And after a couple of weeks of watching the story of Jesus' life as it was depicted, he said, if this is true, this changes everything. He was so right. Because if Jesus is risen... How can that fact not affect everything that we do? If he is the one who pours out the Spirit of God, then are you crying out to know him more and more? Are we we really going to be content to sit back this season and just never talk about why it's here? What is, you know, the Puritans, by the way, used to forbid the celebration of Christmas. Not because they were spoiled sports, but because they thought it took away from the, the, the risen nature of Christ. Right? He's, Jesus is captured in time as some kind of little infant who does nothing and needs everybody to take care of him. That's not the risen Savior. So it can be a misunderstanding. And no, we got beyond that because we, we understand who Jesus is as life continues. But we can celebrate his birth. I think that's okay. If God reprimands me for celebrating Christmas when I get to heaven, I'll have to deal with that. But I think the coming of the Savior of the world is something to celebrate.
But my question to you, have you experienced him? Have you experienced the living Christ? If not, then according to what John has said, he's the one who pours out the Spirit. He's the one who submerses you into the life of God. I am, I'm praying that God would do that, that he would put within you, first of all, a desire to say, I want to know what that means. When somebody asks me a question, have you experienced the living God? I want to know what that means. Would you pray that? I wish Andy Mills was here today because he prayed, God, if you're real, then you need to show me because I've never seen you. You know what happened? He saw him and God changed his life. You pray it. God, if, if you're real, if I've never experienced you, if I've never emotionally been connected with you, then will you please do that? Because I want to know you. Pray that. God will answer that prayer. If, you, if you've never said, I have an encounter with a living God, through his word, through his, and stay connected to his word. It's not some spiritual mysticism is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the truth leaping off of the pages and capturing the affection of your heart. Right? If Jesus is risen then, and he reigns, then we can celebrate that. John the Baptist comes saying, I'm a witness. I'm just a voice pointing people to Jesus. That's all we want to do. We want to point people to Jesus. And so, do you have joy within you? Is there a reason enough that you know about Christ that you can take and share that this week? That's all you have to do. Talk about what God has done in your life. That's the preparation. The preparation is we give God the opportunity to work in someone's life. You'll never win anybody into the kingdom of heaven. Only the Spirit of God can transform a person's heart. And yet, we need to be willing to be used by him for many opportunities. So that's our calling. Help prepare the way for the gospel to be received. Simply be a voice like John. Be a witness to speak about what he, what God has done in your life. That's all you have to do. And, and the Spirit of God will equip you to do everything else that you need to do. So I want you to, I want you to just think for a moment. I want you to pray. I'm just going to pray for us and over us. I just want to invite you. If, if, you, if you don't know that God is real and risen. You've never emotionally experienced him through his word, this living Christ who pours out the spirit of God. And I'm gonna ask you would, you, would you pray that? Would you be willing to commit, not just one off, but to continue praying? Jesus says, when you pray, don't give up. Be like the widow who, who demanded justice and didn't get it, went, kept going to a judge, kept going, kept going, and then he answered, right? How much more then, if a wicked judge will answer the requests of a, a beleaguered woman, how much more will a loving heavenly father answer your request to make sure you know he's real? I want you to commit to pray that. I'm gonna invite you to do that. So let's pray together. Father, I ask that the witness and the voice of John the Baptist would ring in our ears. And Lord, John saw Jesus in a way that he understood him to be the one that whom you had chosen. And Lord, I pray that you would do that for all of us. Would you give us a unshakable conviction that Jesus is the one that you have anointed with your spirit to bring spiritual life to this world. And there is no life apart from him. There is no life anywhere else apart from Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would grant your children in this room to experience you. 
And Lord, if there are those who do not yet know you and would pray what Andy prayed, I don't know you. If you're real, you're going to have to show me. I pray that you would give unbelievers the heart to pray that prayer and never give up. And Lord, if there are those who are your children and could say, I'm not sure I've ever experienced you through your word, then I pray this week every one of us who would say that would pick up our Bibles and read until we experience you and that we would sense your presence. So Lord, we have a voice. We have something to tell. You have come. The the Savior of the world has come. He has been born in flesh. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is a truth that needs to be shared. So Lord, I ask you, pour out your Spirit on your people. Would you refresh us? Would you revive us so that we have a message to share, so that we each would have a personal experience to go forward with of of explanation of how we've met you. So would you reveal yourself to us? Would you let us take the good news of all that you have given to us through Christ and share it with our coworkers, neighbors this week? Lord, please work. And I pray that your good news would transform us. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.